Good morning. My name is Jim Barcliffe, pastor here at Lighthouse Fellowship, and we're glad you've joined us and pray that you'd be touched by God's power and his grace today in a powerful way and change your life because I believe that God is in the business of changing lives and we're grateful today that you've joined us. I think we have a special series of messages here in the next couple of weeks too that I want to talk about something and follow up with the last uh, series of messages, which was on repentance. We talked about what repentance is, changing your mind about things that God reveals to you. And then that in turn will change your life, change your heart, change your direction. And so that's an ongoing experience with uh, with the Lord in the Christian life. It takes place to begin with when we come to Jesus Christ. We change our mind about who Jesus is. We change our minds and really realize that we need a savior and that we're totally lost without him. And so we change direction. We want to live for him. But we know that's just the beginning. In the Christian life, we know repentance takes place throughout our Christian life. And it's very important to understand that at various times, God shows us things that we didn't even know were that was there. And actually, it, we're in the process, and it's called sanctification. There's the justification when we're born. We're just as if we haven't sinned because we've been justified before God Almighty, a holy God, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And he has taken our sins upon him. And we've received him into our life. And so we have been imputed. Actually theological term. Imparted with his righteousness. God sees us just like he sees Jesus. As we're born again. And we're justified. But the second stage in the Christian life. Is sanctification. And sanctification can be summed up very easily. And actually what God is saying. That he makes us more like Jesus. And we're studying here on Wednesday night about the pursuit of holiness. And, you know, God's going to have his way because he said that he will uh, obviously uh, make us more like Jesus. He's doing that. He's in. He'll do that. But he wants to bless us along the way. And so if we'll partner with him, there is a blessing that's involved. And it will the whole process will certainly, if we think of it in terms like that, will be a lot easier than that. The sanctification and when we stand before Jesus. It's called the glorification. Those three aspects of the Christian life. And so we talked about that sanctification. But today I want to talk about in that sanctification uh, time period in our lives. That's what he's doing in our lives today. If you've been saved, certainly it is that we're being sanctified. You're here because you believe that you, God's got something for you. And you want to give to God. You want to come together. Don't ever forget, forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, as some have, because we need to encourage one another, according to the scriptures, as we see the day approaching. And so we don't forsake ourselves, the assembling of ourselves. COVID knocks some off course. And I have a different opinion of how I would respond in the future about that. But I had to go through that and experience that. But we won't discuss that today. But I do believe some things are being done as far as uh, my life with the Lord, my walk with the Lord in regards to that, because I believe that God obviously in any in every way should come first. And it may mean that some things I do differently than what I see our culture doing. Obviously, we know that. And so we see here that certainly we're here today to worship the king. We're here to learn more, to grow, to experience him also. And so today we're going to talk about how to live the abundant life or how to have the abundant life. Right behind the repentance, I believe God brings that 
uh, abundant life. And there are two scriptures that are involved here today that I want to look at and I want to share because in this week and the next two weeks, I'm going to talk about how to have the abundant life. So I want to ask you a question. How's your life going today? How's it going? Okay. Do you feel like that you're really experiencing the abundant life? Because Jesus promises that we had promises us the abundant life and the scriptures that we're going to read here testify to that. Abundant life seems like, man, that's, that sounds good, doesn't it? It has a real good connotation. It has uh, the meaning of it and, and the extension of that abundant life. Wow, I want to live that. Because I believe as a Christian that we don't are just not made to survive, but we're made to thrive. We're actually made to thrive. We've learned in Sunday school, uh, as Nancy's taught uh, on the different books of the Bible in Genesis, that actually the word blessed and blessing continue to come up and it struck me because of God speaking these things to Abraham and to others so God is a God who blesses us in a rich way but I believe in our own lives whether or not we recognize that or we're in a position to really receive those blessings is where it's all at and so I believe that in the next this week in the next couple weeks that maybe this will help us to really get in and to experience that abundant life that I know God has promised us so the first scripture that we want to read is Second Chronicles chapter 7. We'll read verses 12 through 14. And you can stand with me if you like. And it's reverence before the Lord. The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Amen. The formula, if you can call it that, for revival, right here. The formula, if my people, talking to you and talking to me, and talking to the church, you may be seated. And I believe that obviously to have this abundant life, this is where it begins. But we also have a scripture in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief, the devil, comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it to the full or abundant life. NIV is full Others are abundant life. Jesus is saying this. We know the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said the opposite. I've come that you may have a life and have it more abundantly. And so today we, we want to see and, and explore these types of things that I believe that when you leave here today that you will have a greater understanding of what this abundant life is. Because I guarantee if I survey each one of you, raise your hand, that I want the abundant life. I do, okay? I know everybody here wants the abundant life. And we want to walk in that every day. I'm going to share with you how to do that, certainly. So when we ask, how's your life going today? Well, some of you may say, well, not too great. I'm challenged with many different things. We know the Christian life is not excluded from those trials and tribulations and the things, the hardships of life. Certainly, we're right in the midst of that. But obviously, the good news is God wants to, to move you up in life. Really move up. And that's what Jesus is saying here. 
God wants us to advance to the abundant life. But obviously, we can't even start that unless we truly are, have been born again. We know, obviously, in John chapter 3, when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So one pastor says saving faith, faith, F-A-I-T, is, is like this when he said, it's like taking a drink of water, saving faith. In John 4, 14, Jesus said, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And then saving faith is like sitting down to a scrumptious feast. In Luke 14, Jesus said, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. Saving faith is like accepting an invitation. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Saving faith is like walking through a door. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Saving faith is like receiving a gift because Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to live forever. We began that journey when we accepted Christ. Amen. And then also saving faith is like making a deposit in the bank. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I know whom I believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that what I have committed to him until that day. Isn't that good that you're secure in Jesus Christ? Devil can't take you out of God's hand. You're saved here today or watching this that you cannot be taken out of God's hand. You know, there's no way in that sense. You came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ to begin with because there was something God was doing because he initiated it. We didn't all of a sudden say, I want more of God. And I want to know God. It was because God's spirit works in our lives. So if you see someone that you feel like and they say anything that even resembles in any way that they maybe are talking about God or maybe different things and it just clicks in your spirit that maybe this person is being dealt with with God, there's a good chance that they are. Because that's the way God does it. God goes before us, you see. God's already working there in the bar that Don is going to uh, this afternoon. Why? It's because a lot of people are praying. A lot of people are praying, asking God to obviously show up there in that place where they're sharing the, the message, the gospel, and that worship that will take place. God's already doing something in your family because you're asking God to do these things. He does that, but He works through our prayers and He waits for us to pray, but He wants to do these things. Saving faith is making like making a deposit in the bank here. I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul knew that. He knew the security that we have, and God wants us to have that security also. And so when we see here that obviously, I believe here most probably are saved, certainly here. But God wants us to keep moving up to the abundant life. But the reality is sometimes, you know, we get stuck, don't we? I get stuck. You get stuck. And sometimes our, our Christian life gets stale. 
Sometimes we find ourselves sort of drifting away from the things of God. And maybe God is not quite as interesting as what we've seen in the past. And we've had that. We sort of, you know, ebb and flow and so forth. And so one particular pastor says it like this. When do we need revival? When do we need that awakening? Maybe that refreshment that God gives. Certainly listen to this and see if you can relate. When do we need revival? When the things of God do not stir you. When the glories of heaven do not interest you. When the horrors of hell do not concern you. When the peril of the lost doesn't move you. And when the word of God does not attract you. When the idea of prayer does not draw you. And when the house of God does not delight you. (laughs) How many of you are delighted today? Because I don't know about you, but losing that hour does a number on me. You know, I got up, and I don't know what time it was. It was dark and, and dreary and all that. And I didn't know if it was in the middle of the night. In fact, it was. I had to get up that early. And some of you did also. I'm talking about Ed and Nancy, you know, driving from where they come from. They had to get up really early to get here. But coming to the house of the Lord delights me. And you say, well, Jim, you're the pastor. You've got to be here. You know, that certainly does. But that should be a part of who we are. It delights you to come in the house of God. Why? It's because, again, God's got something for you. But also, you've got something to give God. And that's the blessing of your life. And coming before Him and worshiping Him and praising Him and singing to Him. I notice in these songs, too, a lot of them, you know, you're a good, good father. I'm speaking this. And I begin to just saying, Lord, you are a good, good father. And and I know y'all are singing the same. We're saying this to our Father. We're giving Him glory and praise when we do that. Delights me to come in and to be able to say those things because it blesses our Heavenly Father. And I don't understand that. That the God of all creation, that we can bless Him. But we can. We blessed Him today by coming together and assembling ourselves together under the banner of Jesus Christ. We blessed him in that way. And so we come together. But if it doesn't delight you, doesn't stir you, it doesn't do something in you and so forth, then we need revival. But see, the good thing about our God is, is he wants to bring revival. He wants to awaken people's hearts out here in the community that have no idea who he is and maybe have drifted away. Maybe life circumstances have taken them down the wrong path. Maybe they're just really on that path that leads to destruction. And yet God Almighty loves them so much. And he's using me and you in our witness and our prayers and our testimonies to draw those people in that otherwise would be totally lost. That's who God is. And man, he's chosen to use us as his instruments. Wow, that's great, isn't it? So, God wants to revive His people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. And so what do we do? I can do this, thank you. And we know that obviously that's what God wants. Why? It's because we, He knows that we get in a whole heap of trouble when we try to do it on our own. Only on own. We want to be self-sufficient. And so we humble ourselves. If my people, that's the first thing he says. If my people, he's speaking to his church, to you and I as believers, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Humble themselves. First of all, you've got to recognize that you have a need, right? You've got to recognize that. So humbling yourself actually means recognizing our need for God. 
Everybody in here recognize their need for God, right? Everybody. Amen. Recognize today. Let me just mention something really practical. Recognizing if God does not come and deliver this country, then where will we wind up? Okay. Now, don't I'm not naive. Not everyone will come to salvation through Jesus Christ. Okay, I know that. But I want to see a revival. I want to see my neighbors come to the Lord. I want to come when I get up and go into church on Sunday morning. It's real early, of course, but sometime during that time period that those people come out of their houses and come in to hear the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, stirs our faith. Faith is something that pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, according to Hebrews chapter 11. And so humbling ourselves recognizes that no way that we can do it on our own. We realize we could not save ourselves. See, the deception is thinking that we can work and work and make our way to heaven. And that's the biggest lie that the enemy has give, has has perpetrated upon all mankind. You can do it yourself. You can become your own God. It was the same thing he said in the Garden of Eden. And it's the same thing he's saying today. You don't need the Lord. So how is it that we can reach his heart? How is it that we can do this? We humble ourselves and we just come to him. And you see, realizing that we're grateful today. Give thanks to him for every breath that we we take. Thanksgiving is actually, I believe, an illustration and a response to the reality that we are totally humble before the Lord. Amen. I was reading something this morning, a little devotional, and it was talking about the fact that you know, murmuring and complaining and griping is not really what God wants, okay? When you murmur, complain, just complain and gripe and so forth, that's not God, okay? So what he says is to repent of that, this little devotional, and come back and begin to give thanks. Because he says, the, you know, the scripture says, let your light shine before all men that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. OK, for people to see Jesus in us, we got to stop griping for Jesus to see us and see the light of Jesus within us coming brightly to shine in their darkness. Then they've got to see we got to stop complaining. We've got to be a different people. We are a peculiar people. We go against the tide of the culture and to, for people to be touched by the power of God. We got to stop this because what that what that means and when we complain and gripe and when we say <clears throat> some things, sometimes we just get in a, a real rut with it and so forth. Then we look just like the world. We got to recognize that today. And so God is saying, humble yourself. Because every moment is a precious gift from him. Do we realize that? Do we understand that? Every moment in time, every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights. So everything we get comes from the father. Amen. So we need to give thanks and we need to humble ourselves, recognize that, because if not, we're going to live self-sufficient continually. Remember the story there in the temple in Luke chapter 18. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a dishonest tax collector. The proud Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank God. Thank you, God. That I'm not like that. Not a sinner like everybody else, especially like that tax collector over there. For I never cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. 
But listen, the tax collector said this. He stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow and said, God, be merciful to me for I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God for the proud will be humbled and the humble will be honored. Amen. I want to be honored. I know that first Corinthians, first and second Corinthians, Paul refers to that church, a very carnal church or church that obviously wasn't walking with the Lord. And they were they were in all types of stuff is he calls them saints. And yes, positions. We are saints. okay, in that. But we still sin, don't we? And we know that when we recognize that and we come before the Lord and humble ourselves and just say, Lord, (laughs) I need help. Don't you know God comes to our rescue every time? But when we hold God at a distance and say, God, I can do this, please. Thank you. Then God said, "Okay, I'm going to wait till you humble yourself and come to me. It is a major theological foundation to humble yourself before God moves in your life and my life and the life of the church. Amen. It's a major thing God is saying in God's kingdom. The way to step up to the abundant life is to take a big step down. God wants us to humble ourselves. So let me just help you here in uh, Romans chapter three. We know the scripture where Paul said that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, we never meet up to the standard. We fall short of the glory of God. And we're talking about the glory of God, glory of God. Obviously, if God released it, then we never wouldn't be able to stand there. But God knows and he's very gracious and merciful, certainly here. So we need to humble ourselves. Second thing is, is that we need to uh, measure our life against God's majesty and steer away from sin. The Lord says here, turn from your wicked ways here. Everybody needs the first turn when we receive Christ. But we need to turn away from sin and selfishness and turn to Jesus Christ. Selfishness does not go away because we get saved. Selfishness is still there and rears its ugly head because we want our way. And it's about me, myself and I. In fact, that's the culture we're living in. It's me, myself and I on a regular basis. We know that. That's why we're in the heap of trouble that we're in. So facing up to our sins like this and turning away again, it can be a painful thing. But Paul called it godly sorrow there. He says that obviously uh, one lady was asking the Lord, you know, show me your show me your, my sin in my life. And and she prayed that for a couple of weeks. And and then after that, she began to pray, Lord, I've seen enough. Please don't show me anymore. I can't stand myself. OK, God will show you things in your life when you did. And that's the repentance that I talked about over the last three or four weeks. It's important, obviously, to turn away here. Seeing our sinful is no fun, but we've got to here. God will help us if we'll depend on him. Steer away. So how do we get the abundant life? Steer away from sin, but put a priority on prayer here. Listen to this. One pastor says it like this. When we depend upon organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend upon education, we get what education can do. And when we depend upon man, we get what man can do. But when we depend on prayer, we get what God can do. Amen. That's why we're praying for these healing because the doctors have basically given up in a lot of cases. And and prayer is so important. In other words, set prayer as a priority. One particular man, he's a pastor, lives in Australia. Listen to his testimony about the power of prayer. He says this. 
He says, my wife, Angie, went to a rough high school. There were a few Christians there apart from one teacher, Mr. David Bunton, who taught manual arts. Years after Mr. Bunton left his position, dozens of his former students became believers. Many have entered the ministry and become pastors and missionaries. And this particular pastor said, I tracked, tracked him down. He's now 70 years old and retired. He, he was stunned and choked with emotion when I told him of the many conversions since he had taught at that high school. I wondered how his influence had brought about such a harvest. And he told me that many times that he had prayed softly over his classes as he sat back in his desk and watched them work. But apart from this, he'd not done anything to influence these students towards Christ. The only common point of spiritual connection the, par- the students shared was that they were prayed over by their teacher. Whoa, whoa. Boy, does that give me encouragement. Because sometimes you're going, I'm not sure how to witness. I'm not sure how to say this and that. You can pray over your family, folks. And it doesn't have to be, you have to be standing over them necessarily. That word, that term theologically is used when you pray, begin to pray over people. And they may be that you're interceding for somebody right now that you know is not saved or somebody that needs healing or somebody needs deliverance or whatever it may be. And you can pray and you pray and you may never meet that person. You may never work in a deliverance session with them and you may never in any way make contact with them. But they may get saved because your prayers right here today, you're praying over them and their life was eternally changed. Let me tell you, the priority of prayer. It's powerful, folks. It's powerful. And I tell you, we've got to understand that. We've got to realize that. Because prayer, obviously, is far more important than we realize. God hears our prayers. He wouldn't ask us to pray if He wasn't going to answer them. He's so willing to answer our prayers if we just pray. There are things we have. Pray over this church. Pray over my life. Send these life, our families, Lord. I pray over you every day. And I pray that I pray that and I know that God will bring forth that fruit. If I don't give up and you don't give up, keep believing. I just believe that God's going to do something powerful here. How can we get the abundant life priority on prayer? Certainly, but also passionately seek the Savior. He says in verse 14 there, the second Chronicles, seek my face. Seek my face. Obviously, the scriptures tell us if we seek him, we'll find him. Isn't that good news? (laughs) And you go, but I'm fumbling through seeking him. Good. Let me tell you, God can can use that. I fumble through seeking him if you look at it like that. But don't turn away. Come to him. We learned last week, Isaiah chapter one. Come now. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. He says, come, you're fumbling through. Man, I'm trying to just get through, but I want to pray because I believe this is true. And I believe seeking his face, just come. The Bible says when we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. We know in Jeremiah chapter 29, he said, when we seek him with all of our heart, then we'll find him. Amen. Let me tell you, when you encounter the Lord, you're changed. You cannot stay the same. You'll be changed in his presence. His love for you. He'll begin to show you. The Bible says in Jeremiah, call on me and I will answer you and I'll show you what great and mighty things you can never imagine. Hallelujah. Call on me. That's our responsibility. How often do I neglect prayer? 
that I know that only God can do something and I work with it and I get labor and, and I get tired and so forth and the flesh gets tired and so forth when if I'd just gone before the Lord and asked Him. I told you of an example here recently. Just ask Him. Go before Him, pray, and seek His face here. So how much passion do you have for the Lord? How strong is your desire for the Lord here? I was um, in college. I think I was dating Cindy at the time. And so that's a few years ago. And we were at a lake called Clater Lake. And I could swim. I learned, taught myself to swim. But I had never had any lessons. And I was way out in the lake. And there was a platform out there. And for whatever reason, I was getting tired. Okay. And I was, for whatever reason, there was a line of people to get up on that platform to climb the ladder and get up on the platform. And we were lined up. And for whatever reason, I panicked. And I could tell I was struggling to just tread water and, and stay up like I knew how to do. Panicked, whatever it was, I remember that. And I can remember there when that last person before it was my turn to go up on the ladder, I, I desperately grabbed for that ladder. And I was so grateful that I could reach for that ladder, desperate for that ladder, desperate that I could pull myself up for that. And well, you know what I'm going to say? Are you desperate for the Lord? Are you desperate really reaching up for Him? Are you desperately seeking His face, realizing that He is the answer that you need? we got to get desperate. Why? It's because otherwise... We're self-sufficient. And that's the opposite of humility. Amen. When we're desperate for the Lord, I believe, then things are going to happen. We realize nobody else can help us. The best counselors in the world. All this stuff and so forth. But when we get desperate for Him, He's going to do something special, isn't He? King David put it this way. Listen to this. Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. He thirsted for the Lord. If you've ever been out on a job and I've worked construction, I've worked out in the weather and, and all. And, and you know, uh, I'm desperate. I, I'm getting thirsty and th more thirsty, I worked in the shipyards and I mean, it was so hot in some of the tanks, 130, 135 degrees. I'd come out soaking wet. I looked for a cold uh, bottle of water and I had lots of water and I would take and drink that water down. I was so thirsty. David is saying he is thirsty for God in the same manner. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. The good news is, is that he'll do it if we'll just ask him. He wants to do it. He wants us to, to see where our priorities are and what we've got to do to be able to get in line with what His heart is. We've got to treat seeking God as the most important thing in our lives because He is, isn't He? Amen? He's the most important person in our lives. A couple of principles and we'll close. One, God's got a plan for our life. We know that. Jeremiah 20, 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I believe that's for today and for you and for me. 
There's a battle going on right now for your life. We know John 10, 10, for the thief, come, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But also, too many of God's people are losing the battle. We see things falling apart, children falling away, finances in shambles, and life sometimes just seems too hard to continue on. People are struggling today. We see that, right? But God is saying he has the abundant life. I want us to know the abundant life. I want to know the abundant life. I want to walk in the abundant life every day, every day of my life. But I believe there are four most important questions that I believe are important. First of all, who are you? Who are you? When I ask you that question, you say you may say, well, your name there It's easy. You know, I'm asking a lot of times that's the way we say it. But that's not what I'm saying. Do you really know who you are? Because we have many masks that are up, don't we? We can we be transparent before the Lord? Can we get before him? And, And do you really know who you are? Life gets easier when you discover who you are and you begin like that. And what I mean is that you begin to see yourself for who you really are, the good and the bad. When you understand better who you really are, you can begin to work out that life, good and bad. Okay, Psalm 139 says, oh, Lord, you've searched me and you know me, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar. You uh, scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Who are you here? I need to ask God, since you know me better than I know myself, show me who you made me to be. Amen. Good question, right? Good question here. Who are you? You are. Second question is, what are you? What did God make you to be? Again, verses 13 and through 16 of one Psalm 139. David declares, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made and your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I made was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to thee. Listen to it again. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. What did God make us to be? Ask him. Go before him. No matter what it is, what you were made for is most important. The third question is, where are you? Where are you in that whole process? You know, the good thing about it with the Lord is he takes us right where we are. You say, yeah, but, you know, maybe this happened and that happened and so forth. But God takes us right where we are. You know, God is God is the one that just, you know, he's the start overs. You know, Lord, let me start over here and show me. Let me see what I was made for. Most importantly, you remember in my life, I'm going along making Lots of money, or good money anyway. Knew my jobs, had a good reputation, and and so forth, and what I did. And God gave me grace to do that, of course, and so forth. And uh, and God changed the past. Put me in ministry. Put me in ministry and did that. I wasn't like, hey, all of a sudden, I was telling the son, becoming super spiritual or super pious about this and that and so forth. None of that was involved. God just sovereignly did that. But you find out who you were made to be. What were you made to do? And the fourth question is, 
what do you really want? What is it that you want in life? What is the priority in your life? What do you really want? What is that? And see, that will determine how you live life out. Because if not, then you'll just go through life and those circumstances will happen and, and you'll just go through life and everything will just happen to you instead of you making things happen because we've been called for such a time as this to make things happen according to the will and purposes of God Almighty. That's why we're here. Psalm 37 gives us this advice. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. Keep believing. Four questions here. I believe abundant life is not found in money or stuff. It's found found in becoming what you are made to be. You never find abundance in life there, obviously, until you become what you were made to be. <laughs> you know, we all have, and maybe some thoughts have come to mind since I, I said that. Who are you made to be? You're a child of God. You're born again. You're a child of God. Amen. <laughs> We've been adopted by the king. Amen. We've been, uh, obviously, grafted into the vine. Jesus being the vine with branches. And we are obviously, he is in us and we are in him. One day we'll understand all these things theologically more, more clear. But right now we know that. But who were you made to be? You could say something doing. I know and nothing wrong with that for the Lord. But certainly who were we made to be? We were made here to obviously walk as Jesus walked. And we were made to be followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That's the priority, isn't it? And you go, yeah, Jim, but you're saying you're a pastor. Yeah, you know you're going to say that. No, that's for everybody. This is the Bible. We were made for Jesus. And so anything in our lives that distracts from that are things we need to deal with. And God will help us by his spirit, because that's why the spirit came to help us. We can't do it on our own. I can't all of a sudden become like the Pharisees and become legalistic. Pharisaical, I could say it like that. God's Spirit helps us. And He will help us if we'll lay it all down and say, Lord, make me for who You made me to be. Create that in me, Lord. And do that because I want to be all that You've called me to be. And you know, when you do that, I don't know what will happen. I know that obviously fireworks may not go off, but something's going to happen. Changes our hearts. Because I believe God is saying today, He's looking for people who are seeking Him passionately, who are desperate for Him, who desire. Our souls are so dry, like in a dry and weary land, is that we passionately pursue Him. Come after him, run after him to know him and to know that high calling that he's called every believer to. That one day we'll stand before him and we'll see the fullness of. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Makes sense. Makes sense, doesn't it? Abundant life. I know we want it. So I begin. I've been praying, Lord, I want the abundant life. I know I'm living. 
but I don't ever, you see, because I can reach something and say, yeah, but you may have the abundant life. How about me? What about me? And so forth. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that. God doesn't show that because pride comes in and says, I got the abundant life and you don't and so forth. But one thing what it does say is, and when we seek after the Lord, he is much greater and, and much bigger and much more awesome than we ever, ever anticipated. So there's no lack. You keep on seeking and you keep on being filled. And it seems like it's a, a paradox that it's the opposite and all that. But it actually is what God calls us to. You keep on seeking, you keep on knocking and you keep on asking. Amen. And it is in the continual presence of the Greek of that word. But when you do that, you'll never, ever be disappointed. You may hit some bumps in the road. But you'll live that abundant life that God wants you to live. Amen. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, your truth and your presence in this place today. And thank you for the work that your spirit's doing here. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Thank you for being here. Move in our lives, move in this church, move in the body of Christ, Lord. Lord, we pray we've got we've got a handful here of awesome, powerful believers and followers of Jesus in this place today. And we ask you, Lord, hear the cry of our hearts, Lord. For our families, for our lives, for this country, Lord, and way beyond, Lord, because we're desperate. Lord, we're drowning. And we need to reach out and grab a hold of that ladder, Lord, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, let nothing distract us from doing that. Help us, oh God. Thank you, Father, for your love, your goodness, because you're a good, good Father. Thank you. Do it, Holy Spirit, in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your attention today. Amen.